Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents The Big Four at Four. Number four. All right, Candy, we haven't spoken to you about the uh, latest wave in the Kyrie, uh, Kyrie Irving story, and that is a suspension by the Nets, and now it's indefinite. Is he coming back? When's he coming back? Uh, when he does come back, he's going to have a permanent head coach signed through next year in Jacques Vaughn. I thought this circus had taken about the last turn it was going to take where Joe Sy, the owner of the Nets, was just going to go full heel and say, all right, I've got my suspended star and I'm bringing in my suspended coach and getting Emi Odoka from the Celtics. And that report hung out there for about a week while the Kyrie Irving situation got worse. And now Jacques Vaughn, who was the interim coach, who was an assistant, gets elevated to head coach. And my question for you, Cofield, is... Why exactly would Jacques Vaughn want this? What what are you walking into right now if you're Jacques Vaughn? It's not like this is his first opportunity as an NBA head coach. He, he spent the better part of two years in Orlando. I can't imagine what you're getting yourself into right now being the head coach that has to not only answer for whatever's going to go on around Kyrie Irving, but if it continues to go poorly in the Kyrie Irving situation, then uh-huh. you have to assume that the Kevin Durant situation isn't going to get any better either. I hope he's getting a massive check at a, at a minimum. Number three. John Abram is gone. So addition by subtraction for the Raiders, another first-round bust. Goes bye-bye. That's what, four of the last six first-rounders out. Candy? Not a first-round bust. <coughs> Jonathan Abram was not a first-round bust. Alex Leatherwood, to the same point, was not a first-round bust. We can't put these labels on guys who are getting them because John Gruden and Mike Mayock didn't know how to draft. Because Alex Leatherwood had a consensus grade of about 40 when he was drafted at 17. John Abram was drafted at the end of the first round when any scouting report you read on the guy said he can't cover. He's a downhill box safety. And so these guys were set up to fail from the jump because they were drafted without the skill set to perform in the positions and at the level that they were drafted to do. And so how can you blame them? at that point they put Jonathan Abram in all sorts of different situations the first year they had him as a cover guy then in the new Gus Bradley scheme they had him going a little bit more downhill where he didn't have to cover as much okay it worked out a little bit better and this year honestly he just looked lost and at the point where they've jerked him around as much as they have I'm not saying it's entirely his fault I understand why he was prickly I understand why the new regime came in here and said these are not our messes to clean up but to label these guys first round busts to me not fair to them. They're not the ones who chose to draft themselves in the first round. That goes back to Gruden and Mayock, and it just goes to show how disastrous the tenure really was. John Abram now a uh, Packer, so I guess he's not all that bad because Rich Basaccia may have vouched for him, so we'll see what he does in his opportunity with the Packers. Number two. Katie, I know you're concerned about, uh, and a lot of people are, not, not just you, uh, Brittany Griner now going to a Russian labor camp. Lovely. Does this thing feel like it's getting weirder and worse and scarier by the day? And I, I and maybe that's just how the media coverage is framing it. But you know, I I, I have to ask you guys. Like I, I got to throw this back to you know to to you and get your opinion because I just I'm sitting here as a layman with not a lot of understanding of the international politics at play, of the law at play, trying to figure out. Can it get worse? Like, is this the worst that it gets with Brittany Griner being transferred to a Russian penal colony and her lawyers saying essentially that they have no idea what's going on or where she's going? I mean, this is what happens when you're, uh, you know, a pawn in geopolitical 
<laughs> war. I mean that that that's that's what's really starting to happen here. And so yeah, I think it can get worse. I mean, what's to stop them from? I mean, it's not like over in Russia, she's got some constitutional protections that she can elicit and, and appeal to. Whatever they want to do with her, they're going to be able to do with her. Um, you know, the Russians are already breaking international law. They're already committing war crimes. So whether or not they violate her, you know, humanity and international criminal code as it pertains to her is like such a little offense. And it makes such a stir, a stir in America that it's worth it for them to keep doing this. That's why it just continues to escalate. So I, don't, I just don't think this is the end of it. Um, I know Biden commented on it today, uh, but I mean, I hope for her that there is some sort of escape hatch here. Number one. All right. So our question of the day is Justin Watkins is in here is what will a new governor do for sports in Nevada and especially in Las Vegas? First of all, Candy wasn't comfortable in hour one. And I understand why I kept saying Governor Lombardo, Governor Lombardo, Governor Lombardo. What do we expect sports wise from Governor Lombardo? Let's set up the stage here before we just assume that Lombardo is a governor. Uh, last time seeing, it's about a 40,000 vote gap. Sisolak's getting whacked a bit here. Um, so he's down 40,000. There's 23% out left to count. So let's just talk about the process. This is similar to what we saw a couple of years ago. There's a lot of votes still left to count. Yeah, and I, I don't even know that we can put a percentage on it. I mean, there's six figures of votes at least out there in probably just Clark County alone. I think we probably have. They, they will give us the final number later today, but somewhere between 100 and 150,000 just in Clark County. Washoe County has 59,000 to count. Both of those counties in mail, and these are all mail votes to count, have been shading somewhere between 60 to 70% Democrats. If that holds, Catherine Cortez Masto would overcome her deficit. And depending on the raw numbers, it's it's a dead heat with Sisolak and Lombardo. I mean, if I'm here today, I'd rather be Lombardo than Sisolak at this point. But it's not over. It's, it's certainly... I mean, it's 60-40 sort of situation. And it, it, and then if they say today that there's 180,000 ballots in Clark, then I then I switch and I'd say I'd rather be Sislak. You, uh, you served office uh, in the Assembly for a couple of years, so you know this process well. I see a lot of people asking, and a lot of it's from around the country in, you know, in regards to both Arizona and Nevada. Why does it take so long to count all the mail-in ballots, and why is the actual deadline for receiving the ballots on... November 12th, it has to be postmarked by yesterday. Why couldn't there be an earlier deadline for postmark? Is there a legal aspect to that? Well, there's a legal aspect to it because they created that law. You know, this is where I have to be a little bit critical of my party. The Democrats were in control. They changed the rules um, for the pandemic for an all-male election in a state in which they'd never done that before. And then that went pretty smoothly during the pandemic. It took a while to count. But they made basically all of those rules permanent. And the mail rule is if it's postmarked by yesterday, it can arrive as late as Saturday. And I, you know, we're trying to, as a state, move up the chain to be number one in the primaries in presidential elections for both Democrats and Republicans. And I don't think that either party is going to allow us to move up and be the first primary, the first state heard from in the nation for who the, their party um, nominee is 
for president of the United States until we get this figured out. Nobody wants to wait days. So I think I think the I think the rules need to be cha- to be changed. We got to be able to figure out who wins within 24 hours. Have to. All right, I was playing with the premise that we're going to have a new governor, right? So yep. Sisolak very pro sports and very proud of it. I mean, yep. ran commercials where he's, you know, throwing balls around and this team that I brought all this is Lombardo going to be as pro sports? Because we have more opportunities on the way. We could get NBA expansion. We have potentially two arenas that could be added to T-Mobile. Uh, MLS could come here. We could also be looking at MLB. The governor will have at least some influence on this. Do you expect Lombardo to be as hyper-aggressive as Sisolak was when it comes to sports in Southern Nevada? And by the way, not just professional sport, major league sports, professional sports, but also collegiate athletics. Yeah, I don't, I I think it'd be hard to be as aggressive and as as much of an advocate for for the sports economy as Sisolak is was. Um, I still, you know, obviously it's it's far from over. But um, if if we're talking about pushing through some agenda on the state level that gives money to a professional team to move here, let's just say the A's. I do not think that. Uh, Lombardo would be in favor. I hope Lombardo wouldn't be in favor of that. If Isn't that governor. a good legacy? You know, tip of the cap down the road. Maybe it is. Right. If you uh, want, but, if but you that's want, not what I want for my advance governor. From here, which I feel like everyone wants to advance, and it's all about future office. Hey, I brought Major League Baseball. Yeah, and maybe, and maybe it is, but that's not what's best for the voters. I don't think that's what I don't think that's what the citizens of Nevada want, especially specifically for the A's. Give money to build a stadium for an ownership group to move here and not spend on players and be a perennial bottom feeder. Like we don't want that. I'm just going to speak for Nevadans right now. <laughs> we don't want that. I don't. I don't want that here. If they want to come here and pay for their own stadium and we benefit from it, okay. You know, whatever. I wish. I wish we were bringing a team that wanted to spend and wanted to be competitive. But so be it. But. We're not giving them a billion what bucks to the, come here and be bottom feeders. What if the NBA, because it sounds like uh, Bobby Manfred and baseball have this kind of like a $250 million floor. If we're going to move a team there, expand there, you know, that's how much the, the locals have to put up. What if the NBA had something like that and it was uh, $250, $300 million? Would you be more pro-NBA? It depends on who the team is, who the ownership group is. Do I believe they're going to spend? And, like, what's that percentage, Right. It, are we? Are they asking us for two hundred fifty million to build? We already have an NBA arena. We don't need to build an arena. It's ready to go. <laughs> Why do go, I have to build another arena? <laughs> no, you make, you make. No, you make a good point. We we had an arena that we were told would be NBA ready. It is basketball ready. Yeah. And now we'd have to spend more public money on another arena. For what? Yeah. No. No. I say no. No. I'm uh, not in for that. that. I mean, shifted quickly. Two hundred fifty million, like to build what? A billion dollar? Mm, you to build a two billion dollar arena? I mean, if we had thrown in two hundred fifty million and we get a two billion dollar arena, what is okay. what is a two billion dollar arena? Exactly? Isn't that what Barclays is? There's two billion. Right? You know, I have no idea. I I'm just know sure. the stadium. The, the owl was two point two or two point three billion. What is an arena that's two billion dollars? Come on, you've been to Barclays? I think that was two billion, really? right? Like one point eight or one point nine billion. An arena that can't host hockey. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, one point two billion. Okay, I'm off. I got my numbers in reverse, right. according to Ari. That's that's still a lot of money. Yeah. So I mean. If we're, if we're asked to throw in, you know, 10% of something like that and we're getting a world-class arena, I don't know. I think T-Mobile's a world-class arena. It's the highest course. revenue arena in the world. All right. Again, we'll go with Lombardo's a governor, right? So we okay. got a different guy in there. Do you have a sports wish list for the new governor? I would like them for collegiate sports to enable uh, uh, a student-athlete bill of rights that goes with NIL. Ooh. 
I would like to make this the most friendly NIL state in the country. But what does that mean? I think that means what I've just said. Bill of Rights. We are guaranteed these contracts, right? Like they have in contract without even negotiating certain rights that are be- benefit and conferred to them. That they get their name, in- image, and likeness. That they can accept benefits for signing autographs, for doing commercials, for having their name or selling the jersey with their number on it. I think you could do a whole bunch of super creative things. And I, I haven't thought about this. I haven't tried to create any legislation. I would never go into a legislative session just based on what we just talked about here. But I talked to the, the people out there, talked to the students. Hey, what, what's what's the kind of things you're looking for? How can we provide services to the student athletes so they can enter into these contracts, so they connect with businesses? I would try to enable all that. That's that's top of the top of the line for me. Okay. We got five minutes coming up to think, right? Because I don't want to put you on the spot. Think about this. I want the new governor to be more pro collegiate athletics when it comes to UNLV and Nevada. And that means if there's a way, no, it's not if there's a way, get at least one of these schools and the other school benefit to the freaking table of what college football is going to look like and be hyper aggressive about it. Be hyper aggressive. I want you to think about that, Justin Watkins. Big Four Four presented by Battleborn Injury Lures in Reno and Vegas. Call anywhere in Nevada, 766-1400. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins. Only on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Adam Candy's here, Justin Watkins in studio. It's Cofield. So we were just talking about the uh, gubernatorial election here in Nevada, still up in the air. Let's just say Governor Lombardo is the guy, right? That that's it's going to be Governor Lombardo, right? We're talking about the impact on sports. Justin and I just had a good six minute conversation. We'll have to do that down the road about conference realignment and all that. My I have a wish list for Lombardo if he's a governor, and frankly, if Sisolak stays around, right? And this one actually could be either one of them. One of them could step up and be a hero, even if Lombardo, you know, he he wins. He's not in office. It's an issue that. The market is facing right now, and that is, Candy, do you know the situation with the 17th, 18th weekend of December? The Raiders right now are scheduled to play Sunday night football. They can be flexed out. They stink, so there's a good chance they can be flexed out from 520 to 125. Well, the day before, the Las Vegas Bowl is scheduled to kick off at 430. Uh-oh! The impossible turnaround of the stadium. How do you get ready for a pro football game with a college football game the night before? There's not enough time, Candy. Well, that's what we've been told, right? Haven't we heard that for the better part of a couple of years here with UNLV? We heard, we saw it this year. Yep. We saw games move to noon Saturday. We saw games move to Friday night, like this week. A lot, lot, lot of challenges there, apparently. Yeah. So as it sits right now, the game will have to be canceled. Las Vegas Bowl will not happen. You th- no, I they don't can't think turn it around. Well, they could play the game earlier. Or they, they can't also- play the game earlier. Why not? Because it's SEC yeah. right. and Pac-12. The SEC was promised last game of the day. They try to move it. SEC's out. Okay. What about- no game again. What about, I mean... Just trying to be creative here. Is part of the turnaround, obviously, the field. Will the Raiders finally let somebody play <laughs> on the grass field? And we just have... Candy, the... you, you want to answer that one? 
they've been pretty clear about their feelings on other teams playing on the good grass, not the bad grass yeah. from yeah, the preseason, right. but the good grass. You're not you're not a, you're not playing on that grass. So well, the, the, I don't the, know. The, I mean, the Las are... Vegas Bowl will be on the turf, and the Raiders need 18 hours. They need 18 hours to turn it around. They can't do it in what would be 13 hours if the game is flexed to 125, and kickoff the night before is 4:30. Game canceled. I. The, the whoever be- whoever is the governor or governor to be needs to step in and save our Las Vegas Bowl. That is a massive tourist weekend. That's my first wish from a sports standpoint for whether it's incoming Governor Lombardo or, you know what, even Sislock going out. Steve, you got nothing to lose. Step up and save the game. Whatever office you it's- run for next, you can go, I saved the Las Vegas Bowl 2022. There's no way it's going to get canceled. Just stop. There's no way. There's no. There is I'm no. I'm telling you way. right now. It will not. That be they are at a complete impasse. Okay. I, I'm I, not making this up. I will bet you a hundred. We bucks. we have known about the story for at least a month. Yeah. We haven't brought it up because it's like, oh, of course it's going to get worked out. Yeah. It has not been worked out. And yeah. to the NFL level, the NFL's like, sorry, can't yeah. tell you if we're going to flex it out. And if you look at the schedule, the schedule's weird. It's Patriots and Raiders. Great storyline. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if the Raiders are sitting at what at that point? I think it's like week 16, right? They're 4-12, and 5-11. and 11. They made – who knows what they're going to do? I just think – But if it gets if – if the, the real disaster is if it gets flexed early, there's no Las Vegas Bowl. I just don't think it's going to happen. We nope. lose the game. Uh, it's not going to happen. Under? Cooler heads will prevail. That, that will not happen. They're not going to lose a, a $50 million okay. economic driving force – and nor would the Raiders want that stain on them as being such it, so inhospitable to their new city. It's not going to happen that way. So here's the issue at hand, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a bigger issue. Yeah. I'm obviously setting this up. It's a bigger issue. Yep. The Raiders have been a bit inflexible. It's their stadium, right? It's all for you, Las Vegas. Remember when we, we would mock on it, you know, talking about, hey, we're all going to control the stadium. Raiders control the stadium. Yep. And there is a stadium commission why isn't this what I just discussed? And I didn't give you all the details. Yeah. Right? What I just discussed. Why is this not in the purview of a stadium commission? It should be. Why is this not all public? It should be. Absolutely. That's that's the point of it of the matter. Yeah. And like of unfortunately, you know, the stadium commission was made up of people who supported building the stadium and having the Raiders come here. I don't know its current makeup. I don't I don't follow that kind of stuff, but but the bottom line is you didn't have anybody on the stadium commission who was like, I don't think we should be spending $750 million no. of taxpayer funding money on this stadium. I deserve to have a voice on the stadium commission. They were like, no, no. only pro stadium people. So, yeah, absolutely it should be public. And it, I, I'm telling you, it would be a PR nightmare for the Raiders if they had to cancel the Las Vegas Bowl. I just don't believe that they would do that. I don't believe that Mark Davis would allow that to, to be – I think more importantly, I don't believe Sandra Douglas Morgan would allow that to happen. Well, actually, was was she on? No, she wasn't on the stadium commission. Never mind. I thought she was. No, she wasn't on the stadium commission. I believe she was still with gaming uh, gaming commission at the at the time. But it and Justin, you bring up a very good point about the support among the stadium commission because what was clear at the time that all those meetings were going on is that that commission ultimately has no control over the events that go on at the stadium. The Raiders the Raiders have 100% control over what happens at that stadium and when it happens 
outside of what is already clearly defined in the lease agreement that they have with UNLV. So, you know, mm -hmm. the stadium commission dealt with at the time, how are we going to incentivize the Raiders to bring in enough events to make Allegiant Stadium generate enough hotel rooms to keep the uh, hotel tax flowing and pay for the stadium bonds? Well, at the same time, they, 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 they can't force them. Well, they could have. Right. I mean, the enabling language of, of the Nevada revised statutes that allowed for the seven hundred fifty million dollars to go towards the stadium did not dictate the terms of a stadium lease. It said we will build a stadium. We will contribute seven hundred at least, you know, up to seven hundred fifty million dollars based on a percentage. And towards the building of the stadium, we will guarantee you it does say in the language we will guarantee that you can play all your games there. But it didn't say and we will have a stadium board that's created that will be forced to enter into a lease that allows you 100% control over the entire events agenda. It did not say that. That's what the politicians created after the fact. Hmm. They created the stadium commission. And like I said, it was full of people who were cheering and lobbying the legislature to get this passed in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And so when it came up to coming up with lease terms, it was like, what do you want? Okay, Raiders write it up. They wrote it up, and it gets approved. And so, uh, you know, I remember looking at it when they first drafted it. We talked about it on air, and I I think I characterized it as pretty one-sided. Yes. Um, you know, the only thing that the politicians cared about at that point was protecting the integrity of the UNLV playing there at cost. And they did that, but that's, a, that's about all they did, uh, you know, for a stadium that quote unquote, we own, which means we get no tax dollars on the property, you know, a $3 billion piece of property. Now we get no taxes on that for that. We got, we basically gave away all the power. And by the way, my wish list, yeah, it's not it's not just for Southern Nevada, because I think whoever the governor is moving forward. And again, if Sisolak's out, I still think he should stump for this. And if it's Governor Lombardo, perfect for Northern Nevada. Governor Lombardo should get together with former Governor Sandoval and fix the funding issue at Nevada. This is stupid. So I'm here to stand up for Northern Nevada. The fact that you don't have a football facility or somewhere to practice indoor and you lost your coach over money. Mm hmm. We keep courting and you know, professional team here, major league team here. Like, enough. Invest money in these two schools and their athletic programs. Okay, where are you getting it? Where's it coming from? Are you do you want to pay I, do you want to pay state income tax? I don't. For sports? For co collegiate sports? For schools that I didn't go to? No. I don't want to pay state income tax. You want to take it from our least funded education system? Elementary, middle school, and high school? You want to take it from there? I don't. So where's the money come from? Who's willing to pay taxes to ensure that our athletics is properly funded in this state? Because if it's on the ballot, my answer is no. <laughs> you know, start winning and do it the way almost every other state school do has we, to do. I don't have answers for you. Do, yeah. we, do we spend all of our tax base responsibly? Can money be redirected? We are one on. of the poorest states economically in how our government is funded. We are at the bottom top, bottom five uh, of of the, the United States in funding of state government. And if you're talking about priorities and wish lists of things that should be funded, 
Collegiate sports is so far down the list. I'm not saying we spend responsibly. We should. We should have an inspector general as part of as part of Nevada. We don't. And so there is not this oversight over the spending like there should be to right. ensure that the spending happens the way the legislature dictates it. But there are tons of programs that need to be funded before collegiate athletics. But can't, Why don't can't, we fund our schools? Can't there be the rationale that... By throwing more and more money, we are throwing money at a losing proposition by not getting one of these schools or both to a Power 5 conference that we're investing in something that's not going to work long-term. So the w- I know people are going to hate this. The way to get out of it now when the opportunity is here right now with all the shifting is to spend your way into it. Right? Yeah. Okay. And, and we're just going to keep are- doing the same freaking thing? It- I, know, I don't have an yeah. answer where it comes from. Right. But I'm not the G-damn governor. Yeah. Because I bet you they'll find money for lots of stuff, won't they? I and don't so think so. Your, your assembly it doesn't happen and, that way. It doesn't on. happen up there. There, we do not have a bunch of pork in the state of Nevada, despite what people think. You know what? You know what the 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 people in Carson City who are trying to cut budgets are trying to cut. They're trying to cut budgets to school funding and retirement programs for state workers. That's where they're asking for cuts. Meanwhile, Nevada is in the bottom ten. Bottom 15 of per-pupil spending. And that's what they're trying to take. That's where they're trying to find this money. Absent new taxes, or I'll tell you where to fix it. Fix our property taxes. That It's a mess right now. The abatements are out of control. we got to fix that, and maybe we can find some money. Up next, we want to address sports betting going down in flames in California and how it affects us. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins. Only on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, Candy. Let's get into what happened yesterday in California because I I think this is very uh, layered. And when you just see California voters shoot down sports betting, I would have to think that the way the propositions were written – May have been a little screwy. Explain it to us. All right. So in California, there were two measures on the ballot to create different visions of sports betting. One of them would have created a market where basically you could only bet in person at tribal casinos. The other one would have created a fully mobile market where you'd have every one of the apps that you see the commercials incessantly for during all the games that are going on right now. They both lost, and the one for online sports betting lost in an even more spectacular fashion. And Justin can speak to how difficult it is to get 83% of voters to agree on anything. (laughs) Impossible. Anything. And that's how strongly they rejected it. By the way, 26, the in-person version, was a 70% landslide against. And so, you know, I'll throw it back to Justin when it comes to when you have something that is defeated that soundly, at the ballot, is there any path forward uh, for something in the form that either of those was put onto the ballot? Because it feels like they were defeated so soundly that I don't know how you would get any legislative support, funding, et cetera, behind them. Yeah, I mean, when you see numbers like that, it's not a mistake. It's, you know, they especially when there's two questions giving you two options and they soundly reject both of them, I think it's clear they don't want sports betting in their state. Now, what does that mean for the future endeavors about trying to get sports betting in California? Sure, you could do it. You just don't do it on the ballot again because ballot measures are expensive. Number one, you have to get a whole bunch of signatures and then you have to get it put on there. And then you got to run a campaign for and you got to fight against, 
And it's super, super, especially in a state like California, tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to run a campaign for a ballot initiative statewide. So you, you I'm, I'm fairly confident in saying you will not see that again. Now, does that mean the legislature doesn't go ahead and pass their own? They will. Right. What do they care? Right? Like, they don't care. what They'll pass something that's different than exactly what that said and said, oh, yeah, you rejected that one, but we passed something way better than that. Here's what the deal is. Uh, so I don't think that – I don't think a soundly uh, defeated ballot measure necessarily gets through to many legislators in a way that says, oh, I shouldn't try to attack that myself. I think you'll see a number of attempts. And to put some numbers to this particular fight on the ballot, to underscore what Justin is saying, uh, the spending on this pair of ballot initiatives topped $400 million. <laughs> and it was one of the most expensive in the history of the United States. And they tried this legislatively in 2021. It got one favorable committee hearing and then was unceremoniously killed in the next committee that it got to. So it never even got to a floor vote. Uh, it's because tribal gaming is extremely powerful in California. It's a multi-billion dollar uh, business. It's obviously not something that Nevada legislators deal with when it comes to the tribal gaming interests. Uh, and can, can you speak at all, Justin, to, to what that what kind of challenges that brings in when you have a sovereign nation that essentially has exclusive rights to something like sports betting or all gaming? No, but I can talk about we have something very similar in Nevada called lottery. We can't get ah. a freaking lottery here. Because the same thing, we have casinos that, for whatever reason, perceive this as competition for them. I totally disagree with their premise. I think if they, I could buy a lotto ticket in a casino, I'm much more likely to then spend in the casino. But they are adamant that the lottery is going to cut into their ability to have gamers in the casino spending money. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> like We lose on the ballot because they spend on it they lose in the legislature because it's so powerful. So I think we have experienced that all the time in the state of Nevada when it deals with lotteries. Same same sort of premise. When you have that entrenched marketplace that's so powerful and has so much money to spend on protecting their business, they're going to do it. Do you realize how disgusting that is? The $400 million spent on this? All the people who could use that money, like me, $400 million. I'm kidding. But $400 million. That's insane. Well, they did spend it on people like you. On radio ads and TV yeah, yeah, ads. Yeah. And, you know, spent on people. It's Cofield and Company. Live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, let's continue on the theme of sports around the state of Nevada. We'll check in on what's going on with the pack. Because the, uh, the Cannon game... Only a few weeks away, and there's going to be a lot on the line, potentially. Alex Margulies, Nevada Sportsnet's up with Candy and Cofield. Alex, how you doing, buddy? What's up, guys? Well, first of all, let's talk about what's going on with pack football, because this is one of those frustrating seasons where they've been in a lot of games. And again, this last game against San Jose State, tied at 21 going to the fourth quarter. So tell us what happened. You know, I feel like that game was actually the first time we'd seen Nevada be honest, like play competitively uh, in a little while. So I think there were some positives uh, to take away, but certainly uh, down the stretch, they just they, they fell apart in a couple areas. I mean, Nevada could not stop Chevin Cordero, and, and he finally got going with his receivers, many of which were uh, former Nevada players like Elijah Cooks and uh, Justin Lockhart. Uh, Nevada stopped getting pressure 
on the quarterback. That was something they did a really good job in the first half. They had five sacks in the first half and then none in the second half. And then on the offense, I mean, they could not keep uh, Shane Illingwright upright. I mean, they gave up nine sacks and gave up 15 tackles for loss. So Nevada's continued poor play up front when it comes to their offensive line. Certainly that's been a big theme uh, all season long. But I think at the end of the day, there was some progress in that game for the Wolfpack. And, you know, to be in a position in the fourth quarter to beat a San Jose State team that's only lost two games this year, I think certainly uh, is a step in the right direction. And we'll see, you know, what they can do here to finish out the season against you know, three pretty tough games, you know, Boise State this Saturday, they've got Fresno State next weekend, and then, of course, as you guys mentioned, uh, the Cannon game to, to wrap up the regular season. Yeah, you talked about Lockhart and Cook's former pack receivers combined for 170 yards, and it turned out they followed yep. a, uh, you know, former Nevada defensive backs coach uh, and Brennan to San Jose State. I guess one of the big positives for the pack has been B.J. Castile, right? Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely come alive in the last couple of games, but, again, it, it comes back to, like, can a quarterback have enough time to throw to him, you know, and, and he did have a big catch over the top from Shane Illingworth. And that was really the first time all season about it's hit a deep shot. Um, so that was really nice uh, to see, you know, Castillo I think has gotten more comfortable, more involved in the offense, but you know, the biggest problem for Nevada is they can't run the ball and they can't protect their quarterbacks. And so their passing game has been uh, pretty futile to, to say the least. So I think, you know, if they can, find a way over these next couple of games to get something going in the passing game, that would be nice. And, and I think for both Wolfpack coaches and fans, I think they want to see what they've got with Shane Illingworth because he's a guy that does still have a couple of years of eligibility. Like, is this the guy, you know, for Nevada moving forward? You know, I think at least getting a few more games to evaluate him and hopefully under the right circumstances would be nice. Put aside the Iowa game, and we'll just concentrate on quality of opponent in the Mountain West Conference. San Jose State, the best team? Wolfpack of face, or was it clearly Air Force? Mm, I mean, honestly, like at the time, probably Air Force. Like they, they, uh, they took it to us pretty good. Um, you know, San Jose State does have a very good quarterback. You know, they've got good receivers. They've got a really good defensive line. Um, I think it'd be hard for me to say that the, you know, I'd have to say the toughest game for us definitely had to have been Air Force. I mean, they. We just cannot stop the triple option. Uh, they they beat us pretty good. Um, you know, San Diego State, you know, had a pretty good showing against us. But to be honest, I don't think um, any of those teams are going to show us what Nevada's going to see the next two weeks. Exactly. I think Boise State this weekend, Fresno State the week after that, I think these are going to be some really challenging games for yep. sure. Those are the two best teams, and a healthy Fresno is just ridiculous on offense. Yeah. Just ridiculous. I'm, I mean, this is what we thought at the beginning of the season. Like, it was yep. going to be Boise State and Fresno State, right? Like, those are the two teams that we thought you'd see at the end. You know, I think we thought Fresno State was going to be more dominant. Obviously, they've had serious injuries, and they're now getting back healthy, getting Hayner, also getting Williams back on the defense is huge for them. Uh, Boise State looks out of sorts uh, early in the season, and did what they did, fired their offensive coordinator and changed up their quarterback, and that certainly has made a huge difference for them. So, I mean, I think at the beginning of the season, if you ask who's playing in the Mount West Championship game, it's probably Boise State and Fresno State. And even though uh, in September, early October, it wasn't looking like that, we're right back to where we are. And, and you know, I think to me, those are clearly uh, the two best teams uh, in the conference, and it'll be... Surprising if they don't face off in the Mountain West Championship, but 
you know, there still is an outside chance for someone like Wyoming to, to sneak up on Boise State. I mean, they've only lost once in the Mountain West, and those teams will face off against each other in two weeks. So, Alex, as things are setting up here for UNLV heading into the Cannon game, we could be in another one of those situations that we've seen before where UNLV needs to beat the pack in order to become bowl eligible. And I hear all the time, of course, throw the records out in a rivalry game, et cetera, et cetera. When you look forward to that game, uh, do you feel that way about it this year? Do you feel like you've seen enough out of the pack this year that they could you know, rise up in that rivalry game and uh, you know, keep UNLV out of a bowl game again? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think that that game definitely, you know, if, if you're looking for something to play for in the last game of the regular season in a year, you know, that has been uh, super challenging, a year that you've only won two games, uh, it's certainly nice to have the juice of, you know, your in-state rival, the, the cannon, and the opportunity to, to keep them out of a bowl game. I think that would be a huge motivating factor for Nevada. And, you know, UNLV, they started really strong. Um, they've kind of fallen off, fallen off since then. So, to me, they look very beatable. Um, certainly, of the last three games on the schedule, and no offense to UNLV, but they're clearly the most winnable game Nevada's got left, you know. For Nevada to go and, and beat Boise State or Fresno State, I don't put much stock into them having any chance of doing that. UNLV, I, I think it's, you know, maybe closer to a coin flip. I think UNLV is still going to be favored, uh, favored, you know, probably by a touchdown, um, you know, maybe five, six points. But it will be the most winnable game for sure, considering what they've got the next two weeks. Set the scene for us in Reno in terms of the feelings about what's going on in the two major programs for Nevada athletics. Obviously, like you said, it's been a challenging season for football. I, I think that the expectations for having Steve Alford probably a little bit higher than what the results have been thus far. But I know that obviously in the last few years, uh, both under Jay Norvell and under Eric Musselman, there's there's been a lot of things to celebrate when it comes to the pack. So how are things right now in the, in the fan base in Reno? I'd say that's a pretty good assessment. I mean, I think with Ken Wilson, he gets a free pass you know, for the first year, you know, considering what he inherited and, and what he's trying to build. I think there's a lot of people in the community that believe in him as a leader, and I think we'll be patient. And when you talk to some of the big boosters in town, I think they're very happy with Ken Wilson so far and, and just the way that he's handling things. You know, obviously there's a new athletic director with Stephanie Remp, and I think people are very also uh, very excited about what she's doing and, you know, the type of leadership skills that she's showing early uh, in her tenure. Um, when it comes to basketball, I think that one's certainly the area where, you know, Nevada had very high expectations. You know, you lose Eric Musselman, you bring in, Eric, bring in Steve Alford, and, you know, you're paying him a million dollars a year. You expect to stay at championship caliber uh, success, and that certainly has not been the case. So I think if you're a Wolfpack fan, I think they're a little on edge right now when it comes to basketball, and they're hopeful that this is a year that they at least show kind of a turnaround. I mean, it, I, I, this is probably not going to be a season that's going to say Nevada turns around so much that they get back into like an NCAA tournament. But I, for me, if, if I'm a Wolfpack fan or somebody watching covering this team, you want to at least see a team that you see, okay, this team is building up some good players and maybe next year they're, they're competitive and can win the Mountain West Conference. Um, 
But when you put that kind of money out there and those kind of expectations and Steve Alford's track record, you know, people expect them to win. And, you know, people don't really want to wait around. So I think for Nevada, for Nevada basketball, you know, maybe they don't get into a tournament. Maybe they don't, you know, finish in the top two or three. But, you know, and if they can finish somewhere in the top five and, you know, show some growth this year, some development, you know, play a little bit tighter, then I think that would be something that would keep Wolfpack fans, um, you know, kind of okay with the situation. But certainly, you know, there's frustrations um, and, you know, fans want to win. They, they want to see this team win, especially with the investment. Cofield and Company, ESPN Reno, ESPN Las Vegas, Nevada Sportsnet. Check it out for all the great coverage of the pack. Alex Margulies is with us uh, briefly on the opener. Solid showing. Uh, Lucas, a transfer, you know, didn't shoot at a great clip, but finished with 17. And I think the most promising thing was a freshman from Las Vegas was one of the leaders in the victory. Yeah, no, Nevada got really good contributions from a couple of freshmen. Darian Williams went to Gorman, um, Gatorade Player of the Year. Scored 15-9. and nine. He was the first freshman in his debut to score more than 15 points since Deontay Burton in 2010. So, uh, really burst on at the scene. Does not play like a freshman. Um, Nick Davidson, who's a registered freshman, did well in the game. 11 points, 4 rebounds. They've got another freshman, Trey Pettigrew, who's injured right now, but he looks really good in the exhibition. Um, so, there were definitely some pauses. I liked the way Nevada moved the ball. I felt like they played a good team game. Um, they had a lot of different players get on the stat sheet. They had a good defensive effort. Um, you know, KJ Himes had five blocks in the game. You know, Will Baker, one of their centers, had three steals. So uh, there were enough things to, you know, feel pretty good about what Nevada did uh, in night number one. To me, I, I feel like there were some improvements over the team that we saw on the floor last year and just the cohesiveness. Like, I just felt like they were playing team basketball. Yeah. And, you know, they're certainly going to need to figure out who's going to play point guard right now. And that's a, a tough area for them. They lost Hunter McIntosh, who was a transfer that came in and was supposed to run the point. So that's going to be an area they're going to have to sort out. Alex, I got a minute left. Very important. We've been talking all day about wish list for a new governor or, you know, same governor, whatever. Moving forward, what does the Reno community want for the pack? In terms of some kind of funding, like what would be a wish list for Sisolak or if it's Governor Lombardo? I mean, it it starts and ends with an indoor facility. Like Nevada needs an indoor. They need an indoor facility for football. And it's not just about the cold weather and the snow anymore. It's the smoke. Yep. You know, smoky conditions in the summers are really messing with the athletic teams. So if Nevada's going to be competitive in multiple sports, not just football, They've got to get an indoor facility. I mean, that's something that's been on their wish list for two decades. And, you know, hopefully they get closer to that here over the next four or five years with uh, Brian Sandoval, the former governor, um, serving as, as university president. I think he's going to be a much bigger advocate than the previous president. Alex, great spot, man. On short notice, we appreciate it. Thanks for stepping up. You got it. There he is. Alex Margulies, Nevada Sportsnet. Follow him at Margulies PXP up on Twitter. Let's do a giveaway right now, Candy. 364-1100, We've got boxing in town, a top-ranked card. It's on Saturday. It's at the Palms. You can get your tickets at palms.com. It's the World Middleweight Championship with uh, Janabek. Alima Nuli. They just put Janabek up there. It's a 
tough last name to pronounce, but uh, spectacular fighter. He's going against Denzel Bentley. Janabek against Bentley. Top-ranked card coming up this Saturday. Full card over at the Palms. Palms.com is where you can get tickets if you don't win these. Ari's got a pair of tickets right now. 364-1100. Caller number seven is what we're looking for. Reno, you've been listening to the Battleborn Sports Hour. At ESPN Reno, you can listen to all three hours every day. Find the archives daily at lvsportsnetwork.com.